I'm Zach. And I'm Colin. And, and welcome, welcome to the House Plants Podcast. We're here to talk about music, media, and the mission of Jesus. And much, much more. Many things. But first, we'd like to introduce our guest on the podcast tonight. Say hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. <laughs> this is our great friend, Ken Southgate. That's Ken. <laughs> uh, oh, so, yeah. <laughs> So, Ken, uh, but, uh, we usually start everything with a little bit of worship. Before we get to know you a little bit better, what song are we doing tonight? Well, we're going to do a, a, a revisit to an old, old hymn called Breathe On Me, Breath of God. Uh, it was written by a guy named Edwin Hatch probably about 150 years ago. This guy was a total brainiac. I mean, he could speak 11 <laughs> million languages. He had oh, five really? PhDs. And when he tried to tell people about his faith, apparently he, he got way over their heads. So he wrote this hymn to try to explain where he really was in Christ. And if you pull it apart, it's about it's about um, the life of God coming into your life in the Holy Spirit and then changing you. In fact, the whole hymn is really a prayer. Uh, do what you need to do in me. Make me who you need to be. A few years ago, uh, we started to revisit the hymns. Uh, I grew up on the hymns and got to where I didn't listen to them at all. Anybody else get that way? I, I, I like did. them more the older I get. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I weird. grew up with them in yeah. the 60s and the 70s, okay. and, and you got to where you weren't, you didn't think about the lyrics anymore. Mm-hmm. So a few years ago, we started to revisit these things and try to put them in a, a, another taste if you will sure. you know what i'm saying yeah I like that. and so this is this is a a little less prayer like and a little more uh almost a cry of the heart if you will well we got your back man let's do it okay you start us off after you
Ken. Woo! Yeah, God, with Ken uh, on assist. Ken, that song is so much fun. <laughs> well, I wrote another one uh, before that one. And it, All right, let's do it. So say, no, I'll, I'll just give you a taste of it. It's just like more of a prayer. I'll just do part. Breathe on me, breath of God. Life undue, can't read my own things. That I may love what you love and do what you would do. Breathe on me. Can't play it anymore either. Ooh, that bar chord. <laughs> Breathe on me, oh breath of God. And it does that again, but the chorus goes. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And melt me. different interpretation very awesome so i guess it's so you have two versions of the same hymn yeah i wrote it at very different times um because when you're going through stuff you know your heart's in one place another time this was a a hard time and the one that we did before that was even harder it was again a more desperate plea god you're gonna have to do something with me because because I'm just kind of crumbling on the inside. You got to breathe new life into me. Yeah. You got to make me into a new creature. 
and I'm trusting that you're going to finish that process and take me home with you someday. That's really, if you go through those lyrics, see, you didn't think about that at all while we were doing it, did you? <laughs> Y'all didn't think about what it was about. That's our problem with worship in churches today is we're so focused on musical style or something like that. Yeah. We're not, we're not really entering into what those words are trying to do for us. It's a bridge that we can cross yeah. into a deeper place of truly connection with God, that thing we would call real worship, mm-hmm. where we don't sit there and put on yeah. a performance, but where where our hearts are connected to one another and they're connected to God. And you've been in worship services where that's happened, yeah, right? Where people are really into the lyrics. They're really... Yeah. I think it's a both and because I think that... Um, I think that the musical expression is important. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think what we should think of it as the music is being a platform for the meaning behind the words. Yeah. Um, And so when we're singing it, you kind of get that double communication with God. If you can realize, you know, what the heart behind the song is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I get, um, I get to that place. I hope a lot of people get here, but like there's times when I'm listening to worship or playing worship leading when um, the music itself like sweeps you up and mm-hmm. then you just kind of lose yourself in the Holy spirit. And so yeah. you touched on it, Ken, which is that when we're leading worship or when we're um, just part of the band, either way, our mission isn't to put on a show, but is to, to help facilitate the connection right. from no, I'm even go. talking about you know I'm I don't lead worship much anymore. That was back in the day. When That's you a guys shame were for young. everybody listening. It's a shame. I, he's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm one of the guys standing out there, and sometimes the musical style of what's going on is not something I can relate to at all. And so it's been a new discipline yeah. to really look at these lyrics and say, God, I'm going to worship you. I don't care if somebody's up there on a toy piano. You know, I don't <laughs> I don't care if they're playing. <laughs> punk Beethoven or something like that. I'm a. I'm We've done worship. punk Beethoven. Oh boy! <laughs> I think at some point or another we must have. It's Beethoven Hallelujah. with an entirely Hallelujah. different hairdo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Mohawk looking flock of seagulls. Yeah, there you go. Did we pray yet? We didn't pray. We need to. We need to have uh, Ken pray for us. Oh well, let's do that. Yeah. Okay. So yes, thank you, Zach, for the reminder. <laughs> All right. Oh, Heavenly Father, we. I just thank you so much for these two fine brothers of mine who uh, have such a deep place in my heart. And uh, I know, Lord, that folks who are listening to this um, may begin to see them that way too. And I pray that you would reach out and uh, draw us all together through this medium. And uh, Holy Spirit, do whatever you need to do as um, we listen to your voice. Guide us in our conversation now, thank you so much for this deep friendship that we can share with other people in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, all right. What did you guys want to talk about? All right. Yeah. So uh, I guess I'll just, I'll start and then well, me and Zach will kind of switch off on some of these, but I wanted to talk a little bit about how we, we kind of connected as uh, me and Zach and you, oh, okay. uh, like how we kind of yeah. all came together first. So I'll, I'll just start and then maybe Zach, you can pick up. Yeah. Did you meet Ken before you got involved at Northridge? Yes. So you start. Me and Ken go way back. So start then. You guys yeah. start. Okay. I, I met Ken in like 2006 or seven, maybe even yeah. a little before that, because I came to Eastern in 2005, <clears throat> and Ken was the um, the minister at the Wesley Foundation. Um, the first campus ministry that I really got involved in was actually the 
Baptist Campus Ministries, but it was right across the street from the Wesley Foundation. Mm-hmm. And so some of us would come across the street because they would do free dinners at the Wesley. Who are those two guys that came to you all the time? Oh, I was always with um, uh, my roommate, Greg. Yeah. And then this tall guy named Kenny. I don't know. No, there's oh, yeah, another Kenny. guy. And you Brian all were, Grubb, maybe? Possibly. They, you might be thinking about Brandon. I don't know, but yeah. I remember you guys. Yeah. I remember... You had the 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 littlest kid face. <laughs> you really did. No no you know, beard hair. You yeah. can always tell who the freshmen are at campus because they they just look like <laughs> I'm scared to death. What am yeah. I doing? Here? But it was before the beard. No beard. Was you fully, know, you know, yeah, yeah. He, he hadn't turned into the man that he is now. <laughs> so so at that time, Ken, when so. you met Zach, you were not only a teacher but you were the campus minister, right? Yeah, I was the campus minister first. I um, also took Ken's speech class. Yeah, yeah, I got to teach for. I Easter wish that Jessica well. could have taken his yeah. speech class instead of her other teacher. I love teaching. <laughs> I truly did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a chance to meet 75 new kids every, I hate to use the word kids, but they usually were <laughs> uh, so, compared yeah. to me. So, so did you did you meet him first in class or did you meet him? At the Wesley Foundation, yeah. I think. Okay. Yeah, we'd walk over there for dinner. Um, Merlin, I think, back in the day yeah. was Merlin a friend Mars, of ours who yeah. always ran sound. So you would you would feed our tech guys and then we would go back across the street and do our worship service stuff. And that's I did tech stuff and then I got involved on worship and stuff. That was when John Barron was there, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. What a guy. Back in the day. Every 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 BSU director has been one of my favorite guys. There's never been a dud in a bunch. Yeah. Start with Rick (laughs) Trexler and then John. Yeah. And that's um, not typical. You don't see that on a lot of campuses where the different denominational worship and uh, campus pastors will like work together. Um, but right. we were, we were pretty tight at Eastern for the most part. I love those guys. When yeah. I first got to EKU and, and actually went to BCM, I guess it would have been a few years later after we started becoming friends, Zach, but the, the amount of people that went to the BCM when I first started going was like staggering. It was like 400 yeah. kids. It would, it would ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember like the first year I came, you maybe it was like the fall or something. And you had invited me to a, like a Halloween thing or something. Mm-hmm. I remember there being like 300 or something. Really that many. Yeah. Wow. It was like the first, it, it, it kind of went down as I kept coming, but the first yeah. year it was, just, yeah. it was crazy. It, it got down pretty low at one point and then it picked back up again a few years later. So that's just kind right. of the nature of things. Yeah. That's, that's campus ministry. Yeah. <laughs> so jumping forward, I met Ken when me and Zach were doing Northridge stuff mm-hmm. and, uh, Jake, our previous, uh, one of our previous guests, he had uh, all the chops of a pastor, everything he needed to have, but he didn't feel comfortable uh, dealing with the sacrament, I think, because of... Well, he uh, wasn't allowed to. Because of techni- yeah, was, technically being yeah. from a Baptist seminary or something like that. And so the, he, he, I think this was amazing because coming in as a sort of a newer Christian, I was like, whatever, just do it. Who's going to yell at you, right? But he was like, no, I've got to be like, I've got to, you know, I've got to be, uh, what is the word, uh, humble to the people above me. I've got to be um, held accountable. And yeah. Yeah. and so I like that. So he invites you in and I'm just like, oh, who's this guy? What, what's what's wrong with Jake blessing the sacrament? Why does this guy got to come in? <laughs> but that's kind of how I met you. I was, I think uh, I just started seeing you a lot at church and stuff like that. But um, that was, was that like six years ago, seven years ago at this point. Yeah. Yeah. What are you talking about? When when I first started coming in, you were coming in. You guys at that point were meeting at the arts center. 
No, no, no. You came, you came into you this came with the Wesley, Wesley Foundation. Foundation. This too. would have been maybe, if I really think about it, I met you before me and Jessica got married. So this was oh, wow. 10 Was or it more. 10 years ago? Wow. Wow. Because yeah. Jessica and I weren't married until <laughs> almost the 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 change at North. Two thousand nine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we weren't even married yet when I met you. So yeah. it's been ten years, and since then we've known Ken. And uh, for everybody who doesn't know Ken, Ken is the current. Uh, I'll just say pastor. I don't want to say like put a thing of like head or lead pastor. He is the pastor of Berea. United Methodist Church. Yeah. Okay. That's the one. The, I, I'm making sure I'm making the title yeah. right. 101 feet. Some people say first, some people <laughs> say whatever. So, um, and that so, was a big transition for you, wasn't it, Ken, to go oh, from yeah. campus ministry to yeah, a church I, ministry? I did not answer the call to ministry to be a local church pastor. I, my call very clearly before I left for ministry, or I mean, for the seminary, was to be a campus minister because campus ministry was so formative in my life. Uh, I, I became a Christian at 20 after two years of uh, drinking myself about to death and, and suicidal and depression and all kinds of stuff. So when Christ came into my life, I had to get out of town. I had to transfer from UK to get away from all my drinking buddies and mm. stuff. And I ended up at Western at the Wesley Foundation, and uh, it was like night and day. Uh, yeah. And so it, I wanted other people to have that opportunity too because that if you look at that bridge between adolescence and adulthood some of the most important decisions you're going to make happen in those four or five years six for some folks it's a formative <laughs> time college yeah you yeah. six for me you're really deciding whether you're going to keep your faith i mean the, frankly nine out of ten church kids these days walk out of their faith during college you got to make it your own it, it's yeah. not a group youth youth group faith anymore. Yeah. It's got to be yours. We haven't really talked about this yet on here, but um, one of my things, like I guess you call it like a subject matter I, I feel very strongly about is that um, once you get to college, you feel like you're the smartest person that ever existed. <laughs> like you take one set of classes. I can do this. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, not only do I know everything I need to know about uh, religion, <laughs> but I knew everything I need to know about science and math and how to get a job. And I have all my political views figured out. I'm 18 now. I can vote. I can do all of this stuff. And uh -huh. immediately you you just jump into this role of like, this is who I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And what to me is scary about that is that you are basically, you're learning based on the people you're interacting with right then. Yeah. Like that's who, that's, that's what's dictating you. Yeah. And so- I think as a Christian, it's our job to be there when that time comes and say like, hey, like, come hang out with us tonight. And just well, that's why every on. denomination makes campus ministry a priority. If you think, mm -hmm. look at how much money they spend on that. Look at what it costs to keep up that BSU, frankly. Yeah. What an incredible facility there at, at EKU. Mm -hmm. That was a, back in the day, that was a little white house. I saw yeah. pictures. Mm -hmm. And so they bought that and bought the land. And then the Southern Baptist Convention there in Kentucky put in yeah. who knows how much money and to do that. With the Wesley Foundation, didn't First Methodist build that like That's based right. on like volunteer yeah. labor and stuff? The, only one yeah. church built that, not the yeah. whole conference. Yeah. The whole Southern Baptist Convention put in, as yeah. I recall, put in the, the money to build that BSU. Every major denomination realizes that this is where you... Mm -hmm. Either get the payoff for those 18 years, what you invested in your kids' 
these, I mean, you know, think about how much yeah. they loved you guys. They raised you from when you were little. You mm-hmm. were their adopted grandchildren, children, you right. know, all the Sunday school teachers put in time, all the youth group leaders, all the, the, the just imagine the amount of time and yeah. energy because you guys are so precious and so important. Mm-hmm. Someday you guys will have kids and you'll send them off to college and you'll realize it's like watching the prodigal son leave. Yeah. Are they going to hold on to what you gave them or not? And you know what the dangers are. Yeah. Of what they're going into. They don't. They really don't. Being a parent is like super easy, I've heard. <laughs> oh yeah. I well then there's times. there's this whole other side to campus ministry where it's missional um because you've got you've got to think about the kids that are coming out of the church and yeah. going into college. But then uh there's people like me and I think Colin as well. Um, who didn't really come from a church background right. who are coming to college, and that's the mission field. Yeah. And I I was one of those people I described that thought they were super genius. Like, I, I thought I had it all figured out, but Jake went out on a limb, and not only Jake, but I talked about this on the podcast, the previous episode, my good friend Andrew Daniels spared social embarrassment and brought me a Bible. He said, I brought you this and I had like my name on it. And he's like, wow. I'm just giving this to you because I care about you. Yeah. And I said, wow, that's like a, cause until then no one had ever even talked uh-huh. about Christianity with me in Kentucky. I'd moved here from Florida where we kind of stopped going to church. And so I was like, okay. And then he's like, I need, I need to like, you know, risk it again and ask you to come to youth group. And I was like, when does it meet? It's like Wednesday nights. And I said, I got to check with my mom. But I mean, if you and me are just like hanging out, she sure. That's so cool. So what I'm saying is like campus ministry is even easier because like in your case where you did the caffeinated kernel, <laughs> I'm not trying to, you know, promote the whatever. I'm not trying to throw a shout out or anything, but the caffeinated kernel was a, was that business you, you kind of got going where it was the Wesley foundation and a coffee shop. And it's just like, all it takes is for you to go as a Christian Hey, you want to get some coffee with me and then uh-huh. hang out? And that's yeah. it. And so it was much harder for somebody in high school like Andrew to be like, I don't know if Colin hates Christians or anything. And for him to do mm-hmm. that was like a big deal. Yeah. But I think that's why campus ministry is there because it's like, how easy is it then to just be like, hey, where are you going? Are you done with class? You want to just like come hang out with me? I don't have any friends. I'm yeah. a freshman. You yeah. got a lot of downtime. Yeah. And you have students that sit in there dorm rooms between classes they yeah. have no friends literally right yeah and so that's why i think it's funny that you like there's people out there that are still like afraid to take that first step i'm like man it's literally just hanging out in a building yeah like you well, can think of any well, excuse. You're, a, you're a total extra you're you're an you outgoing know. guy know, it can be tough you make friends everywhere you go I know, I know. when you have alzheimer's when you're old you're gonna make new friends every day so <laughs> listen i think it's easy for introverted people to make friends with extroverts because you literally have to sit there and look all like mopey and hopeless and an extroverted person will come and be like, Hey man, why are you so mopey and hopeless? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm just sitting here on the bench. All our introverted friends will be, be pleased to be characterized <laughs> as mopey and hopeless. I'm sitting on a bench by myself eating a sandwich. What's it to you? <laughs> well, maybe you could do that at the BCM. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so, I'm sure there's people out there that would be like, jerk. <laughs> why are you talking to me? No, seriously, think about it. You leave, you're leaving your home. Usually yeah. you're leaving your home yeah. down. You're leaving all your friends. Yeah, Sometimes no, you have a few friends there, but you may not see them. It's a big place. It's hard to adjust unless, like for me, I'm not really a natural extrovert, but I'm a learned extrovert. 
So I've kind of, I've become more extroverted over the years because so, I've pushed myself to do so. And part of that was leaving my hometown and going to college somewhere else. Yeah. So well, we'll, you really went a long way away. Yeah. You're from Ohio, aren't you? Cincinnati? Yeah. Well, it's two hours. Yeah. But so. I mean, it, it might as well be another You couldn't planet. exactly go. Yeah. And I didn't have a car for most of college. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, okay. Um, just, we could, we could talk about campus ministry and tour. It's a great subject, but I want to, uh, ask a little bit more about Ken since we do have him on the podcast and he's our guest. So I'll, I'll start. So first, first thing I got for you, Ken, tell us about your ministries you're currently doing. Then, well, I am now, uh, the pastor at Bree United Methodist Church. I've never been a local pastor. I went through seminary, um, and I took all those classes, but I really filtered all those classes through the lens of I, what, what can I use here in campus ministry? Because I intended to be in campus ministry the rest of my life and pretty much was for the next 23 years. Funny story. People said when I was in seminary, I said, you know, those jobs don't come open very often. You may have to wait a long time. Well, I went to a retreat at the end of the retreat, they said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm a seminary student. I hope to be in campus ministry. We had a prayer, and this guy came running up to me, and he said, my name is Dr. Dean Cannon. I'm the chair of the Wesley <laughs> Foundation Board at Eastern Kentucky University. Our director's leaving. Do you want the job? Oh, my gosh. And I think I said something intelligent <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> if that's not God interceding in your life, I well, don't know Well, that was just it. I mean, it was, they said, you know, this is never going to happen, Ken. And I, I said, well. I know this is what God Man, called me to. That's awesome. And so I went straight out of seminary after two degrees. I stayed an extra year to get a master's in counseling. You got to love skipping yeah. the job search. Yeah. I, Man, like, that process. I did I did have to interview. <laughs> sure. Um, I was the last of the maybe three people who interviewed. Everybody said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they all kind of went, came mm. in and went, yeah, we're, you know, we're kind of looking. We know we should interview somebody. I got else. the job because I was the only one who said I wanted it. That's the truth. I found mm. that out later. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that starts for so people I, recruiting. We, we moved to, to Eastern, Paul and I, and, and uh, one child, Daniel. He was just a little fella. No, actually, we had Michael by then, too. Yeah. He, Michael was just a baby. And uh, that was 23 years of being on campus, and they were great years. I mean, mm -hmm. really loved it in all aspects. Um, yeah. And now you're now you're a pastor. And now I'm a pastor at Berea Methodist Church, and it has stretched me out in some ways that I did not anticipate. It's really been a good um, new course. If you want to take it that mm. way, it's almost like another another level, just taking the game to the mm. next level. When you say stretch out, do you mean um, God is uh, bringing out more gifts from you to, to use? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm dealing with adults who um, <laughs> new, may new or... New playing field, dealing yeah. with adults. Well, they, they may kids. or may not know their theology very well. You sure. know, in, yeah. in, it, at college... You're basically dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, making sure that college students connect the basics so that they can build their faith for the rest of their life. Right. These are adults who've been sitting in church for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Mm -hmm. And some of them are quite advanced in their um, walk with Christ. And so you, got, you can't preach too below those folks yeah. and teach uh, too far below those that. folks. <clears throat> but then you got people coming off the street who haven't, they basically heard of Jesus yesterday. 
And they don't have anything. So, you, you know, it's it's weird. So do you feel like you have your message time on Sunday to kind of bring that all together and speak yeah, to it's, that whole it's a real challenge. Yeah. Um, again, most of my stuff at, at, at Eastern when I preached was about teaching, teaching about sacraments, teaching about yeah. uh, mission, all that stuff, discipleship. This is where you have to put some meat on the bone. I mean, this mm. is, you gotta, they gotta walk out with something that either challenges them or encourages them every week. Every week. Yeah. You gotta walk out going, boy, you know, I, I need to learn to fight above my weight class. You know, I need to step up. Or I've, I've got the crap kicked out of me all week long. This was a breath of fresh air. I can, me and the Lord, we can go back to work or whatever tomorrow, go back yeah. home and, and deal with whatever. Now, your your process of, like, putting a sermon together has changed a bit a in bit. this new setting, right? <laughs> you were telling me. You were my intern for two years. That's right. <laughs> uh, the really the really bad part about being in one place for 23 years is you could do those sermons off the top of your head. I remember um, leading worship and having to pick songs ahead of time and just hope that the sermon would touch on some kind and of And it theme. always did, didn't it? It did, most yeah. of the time. Well, I, the, the, That's uh, because I trusted you. I knew the Holy Spirit was going to say yeah. the Holy Spirit was talking to me, he was talking to you. I didn't need to micromanage you. That's what um, I was just about to add was that you, your um, leadership style, if we can call it a style, um, is that you allow for like the Holy Spirit to lead. So if if Zach does a worship set and it ends up like being super moving and then you're just like, you know what? I was going to talk about this tonight, but structure's going yeah. right now. Yeah, we've seen that a couple times yeah. from you too. I love it. That's, I yeah, like that. We appreciate I, it. <laughs> I was very happy to follow the Spirit's lead. And, yeah. And I always yeah. trusted you. Yeah. And Colin, when you were doing music up at First Methodist Church, I always trusted you. I always knew what I was getting because I knew who you guys were following. And so I, my job has always been, I think, to empower people to find their own ministry. Um, and you have to empower, and when you have a staff, you would think um, that would change. But actually, you have to up that game, too. Because, yeah. um, yes, they're getting paid to do what they're doing. But they think you're going to be their boss mm-hmm. and hand out agendas and all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm I'm busy trying to find out what's happening in their heart and where they think the church is going. And, and we figure it out together. You know, I've got a tremendous staff at Berea. Uh, and I'm very blessed. I always have structure people around me because yeah. I'm not a structure guy. Zach was a, a total structure guy. So he, he carried the ball for us for a long time. Uh, I, I depend on people. I'm not a, an autonomous, mm-hmm. yeah. do it all myself. We all have guy. different gifts. Yeah. yeah, and I wanted all you guys to find your gifts and let you do them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you were made for. I, I basically helped. I thought what I was really doing for 23 years was helping people find out their leadership role in the church. And it's yeah. been amazing yeah. to watch all you guys and anybody else out there that's listening and went to the Wesley Foundation. I'm amazed at where you are and what you're doing everything from tons of local pastors and pastors' wives and women who are pastors and um, got a hospital chaplain. We've got uh, prison chaplains. 
Yeah. 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 With military chaplains. I mean, people are spread out. And then the lay people that go into the churches are leading Sunday schools and youth groups and That's awesome. serving on boards and, and committees. And and I, I like to think that the Lord took those four formative years when you guys were learning who you were and helped you find out what your skills yeah. and gifts were so that you could go out and use them later. That was a, the most exciting part for me about campus ministry. I mean, just to be a, a seed planter at all is like a big deal. Yeah. Well, I we have we have maybe not told you enough about what the meaning of the word houseplants podcast means, but it's a reference to Psalm 92 and uh, the language there is um, if you're planted in the house of the Lord, you'll grow like a tree of Lebanon. And mm-hmm. so the the tough part is getting them planted. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes that seed doesn't grow if it's not planted with a good And sometimes and we've had conversations like this before, but sometimes you feel like all you're doing is plowing. Yeah. You're plowing and you're plowing and nothing oh, I don't think nothing I, has sprouted up just I don't yet. think I even bought the seed or plowed. I think all I ever did was water. Yeah. yeah. To be honest. Well, you have pull a few weeds. But. <laughs> hey, there's another part of Psalm 92. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the 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 language that sometimes I hear people talk when they say, like, uh, we're trying to reach the lost. When I first heard that, I, I kind of accepted it. But now that I've I've really taken a hard look at, like, today's 18-year-old kid, I don't consider that to be a lost person because there's so much information. Like a kid may know everything about about the Bible because it's all on the internet or uh, whatever. And now it's so mediaized that you just have a vague idea about what it is. You may not have a good idea. You may Mm. have a misconception about what Christianity is. And so what you have to do is break, not well-informed, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. They have a lot of information. They've heard something. Well, they're they're actually, they're immunized. Right, Mm. Um, right. So... misinformed and the growing part of the in terms of personal faith or whatever the growing part of uh, america is this middle they're about 26 27 right now who don't go to any church they're not atheists they're not agnostics they're not christians they just don't care yeah yeah and their second and third generation don't cares that's the fastest growing part of the the church attending population is going down dramatically. Right. The atheists and the agnostics are growing a little bit. They're they've doubled in about the last 60, 80 years. But the the big fat middle that doesn't care, mm-hmm. that's the yeah. part that's growing. Yeah. And so yeah, and they, it's like if and you, they've decided that religious people are crazy yeah. because they fly planes into buildings and right. blow themselves yeah. up and all that. If you talk to somebody from Europe, that's like you can get a sense of where we're headed. Yeah. And, you know, a lot I've Seen a lot of Europeans come and visit church and and hang out and um, except for certain ones that grew up with a religious family or something like a lot of them are just kind of it's a malaise where the church doesn't really make that big of an impact. Right. But what's what's tough now is that we're in a stage where they're not lost. They're like well informed. But the second that I started living for somebody else besides myself, everything became clear. I was like, Hmm. oh, Ministry, this makes sense. You're doing stuff for other people, and yeah. it's it's giving up your own time yeah. to do so. Uh, it just changes your whole perspective. Oh, and that's really the only thing that gets anybody's attention. Yeah, is when they see us do things that they value as well. 
We're not the yeah. only ones who value helping people. Exactly. No, of right. course. <laughs> but it's they, just our motivation. They, they, <laughs> yeah. think, they think that we are looking down on people and judging people all the time and saying, yeah. you're no good and you're this, and, and use that word lost. You know, it, it sounds it, it sounds demeaning very, or something. It's to very them. judgmental. Yeah. yeah. It's very ju- it, we don't mean it that way. Right. Uh, we're really using biblical terminology to talk about where a person is in terms of their relationship with Christ. Exactly. Or not. But yeah. but when you hear it out of context, when you're not raised in that community, when you when you only hear it from co- people who uh, it sounds like are picking on you, yeah. mm-hmm. it, it really can be bad. So they're watching us. Um, I, was, I was reading a book called, uh, and I'll show it to you guys. It's by Art Lindsley. Uh, he's a C.S. Lewis scholar, and I'm a C.S. Huh. Lewis freak. <laughs> um, but he wrote this book called Love the Ultimate Apologetic. Now, when he says apologetic, he doesn't mean he's apologizing for something. In classic uh, philosophy, apologetics means to explain something. Right. So he says in in this book, he's talking about how love is the thing that uh, gets people's attention. Um, and he's talking about a particular kind of love, agape love, which is that selfless, self-giving love that you were talking about. Right. They can relate to that. Exactly. But there's no other religion besides Christianity yeah. that mandates that kind of love, believe it or not. So how would you say that um, the agape love that we're talking about, uh, the biblical kind of love uh, that we are commanded to do as Christians, how does that stand out over and above like the kind of um, the, the service mindset um, the community service kind of volunteerism uh, that we can see that doesn't require the church. You know, I haven't ever looked at it from that perspective. So let me just imagine for a minute that I'm not a Christian and I'm doing these good works. It makes me feel good, right? Sure. To be unselfish. Um, it makes me, maybe it gives me a sense of purpose of um, counting my life, counting in the world, then I'm helping people. I see real problems, and I feel like I'm, I'm really helping folks. Yeah, um, I can see where the, I can see where they would do that. I would, I would also say though, there's a danger, and I really want to be careful when I talk about this. There's a danger of doing good work so I can feel good about me. Then it becomes more about me. Uh huh. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. I'm glad I gave that ten dollars to that homeless person. Boy, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm not as bad a guy as I thought. It wasn't about. It stops being about that person that you're helping. Right. Agape love almost forces you not to think about yourself. Mm-hmm. It 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 disciplines you to stop doing that kind of reward self reward stuff. If you want to look at what agape love is, um, someday you guys will be parents, and you would do anything for that kid. You would sacrifice anything, whatever it took. Um, we even are, and and everybody out there can relate to that, right? Yeah. You don't have to be a Christian to relate to that. Even if you're not a parent, right? Yeah. You, you realize yeah. it's I, a selflessness that you can't even help. Oh, you know? I, when yeah. when Daniel, my oldest, was born, he was orange as a basketball. He had jaundice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a bad too. case of jaundice. And, you know, I'm the first-time father, and we bring him home. The doctor said it could turn into this, that, and the other thing. And uh, my wife was crying, and my mother-in-law was all scared, and I got them in the house. And then I went out back and bawled like a big baby. Mm-hmm. Because up to that point, up to the time Daniel was born, I was nine feet tall and bulletproof. 
nothing could touch me. And I wasn't scared of anybody. And all of a sudden, my life is so intertwined with this little baby. And I can't stop this thing. I'm vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable, probably for mm-hmm. the first time in my life. I cannot protect myself. Scared me to death. I think everybody can relate to that to some degree. The other form of agape love that we see that people, uh, we we appreciate somebody gets in a car wreck and two people stop and they pull the person out and they do CPR and all that kind of stuff. We say, boy, those are heroes. Yeah. Um, in the military, if we watch somebody lay down their life for their buddy, you know, we say, wow, that's that's a hero. Jesus said it that way. He said, there's no greater love than this, that a person would lay down his life for his mm. friend. Right. When they say, when he uses the word friend in Greek, uh, a friendship love was the highest love in the Greek world because it was the most selfless. It was where mm-hmm. it was about the other. Because it had nothing to do with your familial ties. Right. It, yeah. It was not anything that had that w- you deserved or anything else. These were two yeah. hearts that, like you two guys, right? You got your your lives now and your hearts are so woven together that if something happens to one of you, it happens to the other, right? <laughs> and you can't stop it. Zach is my brother for sure. <laughs> brother from another mother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that's that's friendship yeah. love. What agape love does above that. Uh-huh. The reason it was such a radical thing when when Paul started talking about love, and he's talking about agape love, this self giving love, he's talking about um, loving anybody that way, even the most undeserving. Yeah. I'll, and I'll tell you a true story, and it's in this book. Um, and we'll me, link that in the show notes, by the way. Yeah, let me, let me look it up so I can read this to you. This was a true story about. Um, a fellow named Richard Wine, who was in Florida. And, and, and when Art Lindsley met him, Richard told him the story. Richard Wine killed this, this man. Hmm. I mean, just murdered him. And that's what he was in prison for. And his mother, the, the murdered man's mother, Judy Lawson, was angry for like 10 years, just bitter angry. She was a Christian, but so, you know, this... Richard took her son away from her, and she was wow. couldn't deal with it until finally one night she surrendered that anger to the Lord. She said, I can't carry this anymore. And uh, she, you know, she didn't do it because it made her feel good. She didn't do it because it was the right thing to do. She did it because she couldn't carry this anger anymore. And the Lord began to deal with her, and uh, she decided to write Richard Wine a letter explaining that she was forgiving him. She made a decision to mm. forgive him, not because she felt like it, but because out of obedience and because, you know, I, this is going to destroy me if I don't keep doing it. So yeah. she wrote him a letter and he blew it off. And she wrote a letter every few months to the same effect. You know, I'm, I'm praying for you. I hope you'll find Christ. Um, and he blew it off until he got sent to solitary confinement for two weeks, the whole and he had a Bible with him, and he decided he was going to read this Bible. And by the time he got to Isaiah, his heart was changing. Something new mm. was happening to him. By the time he got to the end of the New Testament, he had committed his life to Christ. So the first thing he does when he gets out of solitary confinement is write a letter to Judy, the mother of the man that he murdered, 
and said, I want you to know I've given my life to Christ. And she began to come and visit him. Um, she would come to, she would go to her church and then she would come up to the prison and go to chapel with him. Oh, wow. And there's a Bible that she gave him and on the inside of it says, to my adopted son, Richard, from your adopted mother, Judy. And they love each other. Gosh. Now that's agape love. Ugh. See, it's <laughs> wow. completely undeserved. That's it's, a tough place. <laughs> there, oh, there's only one thing that I know of that can make a person do that or even yeah. want to. And that's this God who looks at us. We are estranged from him because basically we all rejected him. We're born in kind of a rejection form. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. And he's the one who reaches out to us. He's the one who sacrificed his son before we right. even took a breath. He took the initiative. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's God who knows every soul that's ever going to be born and every sin that every soul is going to commit uh-huh. that's going to distance us from him. And he decides to build a bridge to each person. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, it says he was literally hanging between heaven and earth. There's the, mm-hmm. there's the bridge. It pays for all those sins. Yeah. And then anyone, 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 right. at, even at the last minute deathbed confession can come to Christ and say, you know what, I, I really can't make my own way to heaven. That agape love keeps drawing us. It's like gravity. Yeah. There's gravity that holds us to the surface of this planet. And we can go up in airplanes and do all kinds of stuff, but eventually we got to come down, right? Yeah. That's that's agape love from God. That's why Paul says the most radical thing of the ancient world, God is love. Yeah. yeah. Not God does love, but that's his nature. It's one of the few things that the Bible uses a statement of what God is rather yeah. than something he does well, now here's, love and light but here's the problem I forget the other one our our culture has turned Truth. that around to yeah. love <laughs> is god yeah yeah right like any kind of love whether it's romantic erotic uh, i love yeah. chocolate yeah i guess know. um yeah, yeah but they they say god is love but that's what they're implying like, you no, know, they it's say love, you know, they say yeah, love, love yeah. made me do it. Love makes yeah, it's all know, love, I, man. It's all. Yeah. And then right. they because it's not powered by the love of God, those loves fall apart. Yeah. And they're broken hearted. And, you know, you and I both know people that have given up on any kind of being connected to another human being because it's too dangerous. Love hurts. Yeah. When love is God, that's the danger you really walk into. But when God is love, the closer you draw to God, the better you are off. You are the, mm-hmm. the more you are who you really are. The more stuff drops off of you. That is not really you. Yeah. It's just accumulated dirt from being on the planet. So how do we show that kind of radical agape love that, that calls us to go beyond ourselves Um when people are valuing kind of more a selfish worldly kind of love, you know, we don't have enough time to get into all that, (laughs) but I I would say there's two ways to do it. First on your own. Are you willing to be friends with anybody? Anybody, right? Are you willing to get close to anybody, even somebody whose political opinion you can't stand or 
they say things that you can't abide. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They're wearing a particular hat with a particular yeah. presidential <laughs> candidate's name on it. And you, can you still, in the love of Christ, say, Jesus, help me, help me connect to this person? Not just be tolerant of this person or yeah. include this person. Help me can really connect to this person because you know what happens when you connect. Then that philos friendship love starts. Right? I think what what you said right there is might be the key because um, how often do we say Jesus help me connect with this person? Yeah, I think so many times we want to go approach a person and we're like, okay, well I'm I'm good. I'll go and just try to use my own personality or. You my know, own efforts to try and get close to this person. And try I'm, up all here, kinds of things. I'm up here, this holy person, and they're this nasty person. And so I'm they're gonna, a project. I'm going to yeah. save them. No, nothing, nothing like that. It's well, got to be genuine. It's got to be real. Well, the, the scripture is pretty clear. I feel like <laughs> I hate, to, uh, I'm using a thing that other pastors say, and I say like the scripture is mm. pretty clear on this, but I would say one thing the scripture is pretty clear on is that there are so many famous scriptures that even non-Christians yeah. know yeah. where like when he says, what's the greatest commandment to Jesus? Mm-hmm. And he says, love the Lord, your God with all of your heart, mind, you know, go yep. through the whole game. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And what's yeah. interesting about that is, um, I don't know the Greek. You probably know what he, what he's saying when he uses the word love there. Um, I think it's agape, but, um, I guarantee it's agape. It is. Yeah. So what I think is interesting is the same love that God is giving us the same love we're giving God, we're giving to our neighbor. And so yeah. we've been given that love. And so these non-Christian people that use love as a all encompassing thing for whatever they believe mm-hmm. in aren't understanding that the origin of love itself came from God. Absolutely. And so when you get to that point with somebody where you're like, well, I, I, I'm so happy that you believe in love. Do you believe in the origin of love? (laughs) Well, it actually it's, it's a little more grounded than that because when you become friends with somebody and you, you start connecting, you find where your rough edges start knocking on one another Uh and you can get, there can be some real arguments at that point, and, and this is really massive, can you forgive people? Right. Yeah. Can you be the one that initiates um, forgiveness in the middle of that broken room? Can you call them up and yeah. say, you know, I, I want to tell you my heart's been bothered ever since we had that argument, and I, I really value you, you and your friendship and uh even though we, we we don't agree on this issue, my relationship with you is far more important than that. Yeah. That really gets people's attention. Yeah. So, in other words, we're not building um, facade relationships with people. We're building mm-hmm. real deep. You can't do that with everybody. Yeah. Right? So don't, don't pretend like you're going to go out and make 35 new best friends. Who does God give you? Who's the most difficult person in your life to love, mm-hmm. right? Right. That may be your your assignment. That may and they and by the way, it'll be good for you too. It but, yeah, definitely. You're called. Yeah. I think. I think that uh, I hate to get super gushy and romantic, but Jessica truly believes that God put 
me in her life in like a really tough time. Yeah. And I think yeah. God does that with a I mean, I'm not going to name any specific names, but me and Zach have a select few friends that we feel like we were pretty instrumental in their life as far as their walk goes. I guarantee you. And, and, yeah. and what I think it comes down to is that God says, uh, Colin, Zach, Ken, um, I'm making this connection. Like I'm presenting it out there. Are you obedient to me? Can you, can you acknowledge that and try your best with this person? Because mm-hmm. uh, one in particular, I think you know who I'm talking about, our friend that we used to work with. Um, um, and I don't want to like toot my own heart or anything, but he, but he, he once told me that me and a, a few other guys uh, being around him and, and, and being strong in our faith and just uh, caring about him enough to sit with him mm-hmm. and being patient with him mm-hmm. was what eventually turned his life around to Jesus. Yeah. And, and what, you you are exactly right when you say that it's more about that connection, more about the relationship, and not just trying to say the right thing in the moment, well, like a gotcha move or let's something. Let's take it another step further. Then they start watching how you live. Exactly. How do you treat other people? You know what I'm saying? Is that agape? Is evident? it? Does it match yeah. up with? You know, are you are you looking out for the best for other people? And I don't mean making best friends with everybody, but when you have a someone you're angry with, do they see you try to make it up with them too? Do do they see you treat people with dignity and respect and things like that? Now that's all up to you. The other major way that we can show a copy love is by our communities finding things to do to reach out to real problems in the world. Like um, down in Berea, they started Room in the Inn, which is an attempt to try to get homeless people in for the night out of the cold Give yeah. them two meals, keep them safe. It's all structured, um, but the churches are doing this together. That blows people's mind. The churches are cooperating. Mm, Maria Baptist is part of that. Yes, mm-hmm. but on top of that, half the people on that organizing committee aren't Christians at all. Yeah, they're atheists, so the and they'll tell you they're atheists. So now they're now you're yeah. are you in there? Are you are you valuing these people you're working with? What what happens in camaraderie when you? when you are agreeing that yeah. you, this thing is bigger than you. In other words, so you've got things you do by yourself. That's true. But the real power comes when whole communities do things because they can watch you do something and say, oh, well, Zach's the exception, Christian. The rest of them are all weird, mm. right? But when you do stuff... I think both of us have heard things like that before. Like, yeah. I hate all these Christians except for you, Colin, or Zach. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Then they just decide that you're... <laughs> More names I can think of for that. Yeah. And that allows them to not engage the whole thing that you're talking about. Sure. But when whole communities come together yeah. and say, no, wait a minute. Yeah. We're not in heaven yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, we're supposed to bring a little bit of heaven down here. Having the solution, having the agape love. Yeah. How do we show it together in real ways beyond words? Yeah. So as we wrap up, I want to ask you a question that we ask. We've been asking everybody this. Right. Um, so what is one thing that you wish the church would either start doing that isn't currently or something else that you'd want to see change? So either we're either talking about like a gap in church ministry that you see or something that you think maybe God needs to work on us a little bit. The church as a whole, not the church as a whole, a church. Yeah. The, the, the body of the church right now. 
I want people to know that sometimes love says no. Yeah. Out of love. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the way I usually introduce this, I tell two stories from my childhood. One is, and you guys have probably heard me tell them. One is where me and my buddy, I was about seven years old. We collected garter snakes and we had a whole bunch of them. And a kid came along one day and had a great big snake in a, in a crate. And, and you guys had so, a handful and, of little snakes. And, and we traded him our garter snakes for this big snake. And dad came home. And he said, Dad, Dad, come here. Look at all these, this big snake we traded. And he looked in that crate and he jumped back. His, I'll never forget his reaction. He was scared. That's that father thing, I, you know. Uh-huh. And you, you don't know what it is, but you know it. And he said, you boys can't keep that snake. I said, oh, why not, Dad? He goes, no, no, you you boys can't keep that snake. He goes, I'm going to have to let that go. But, Dad, we traded all the great snakes. No, no, you you can't. No. You know, my dad never said no to me. But that time and one other, I found out later that was a copperhead we had traded for. <laughs> okay? The other time was when I was 17 and nine feet tall and bulletproof, and the demolition derby was coming to town. <laughs> and I went downtown Lexington and found this 1959 Pontiac. This thing was a Sherman tank. It had that old steel, you know, this, it probably got about two miles a gallon because it was so heavy. And I said, Dad, I'm going to be in the demolition derby. And he said, no, you're not. I said, but Dad, this is a 1959 Pontiac. It's a great big steel. And, you know, he goes, no, no, you're not. I said, I'm going to take out all the glass. You know, I'll wear a helmet. He goes, no, you're not. I said, I'm going to put mattresses around. He said, no, no, you're not. And I walked away going, my dad just killed joy, you know. I found out later that um, dad said no because he was an emergency room attendant for about a year. Mm. And he'd seen a lot of people come in from car accidents. He knew more about mass and momentum and the fragility of the human body and all that kind of good stuff. And he was not saying no to me because he didn't love me. In fact, it was quite the opposite. He would say no to me because he did love me. Now, here's here's the revelation. If you want me to say, what, what do people need to realize? I think we need to take another look at sin mm. instead of deciding that it's a violation of the law, which it is. Why did God set up those laws? Why did he call something a sin in the first place? Right. I think it's because God is love. He's a, your heavenly father. And he's trying to keep you from going someplace where you're going to get spiritually hurt and perhaps taken away from him forever. That's, mm -hmm. if we would learn in our culture right now when nobody can say no to anybody, and we, we yeah, can't even look at the Ten mind. Commandments and say, maybe these are ten good places to start. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first mm -hmm. four are about our relationship to God, how to keep that in order. The next five are about how to deal with your neighbor. And the last one is to keep you safe forever. Mm. I'm the Lord your God. You know, it's, if you look at the 10 commandments, they, they weren't designed to ruin anybody's party. Yeah. This is a group of people who don't know anything about the God they're following through the desert. And so he, he starts out with just 10 things. These are the 10 things you need to start with. We'll build on it later. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. He started that way so he could send his son 
to give us the fullest revelation about what love is and what love is not. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus said no sometimes. Who's more loving that's ever walked on the planet than yeah. Jesus? We're in a we're in a, a place in our culture. I just uh, not my best time at work, but I just had a little rant about this where we're not allowed to tell anyone that they're not allowed to do anything. And my argument to that is like I I'm not really the one telling you that. Right. And yeah. it, and it's in in the you know the 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 issue the issue that comes is that we're we're now in an age where if anyone is ever told this may not be the best idea then they are a bad person yeah or a hater or anything yeah. Yeah. and 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 there are limits just, that god sets just like how a father would set a limit yeah. for you i think um there's a tim keller book where he talks about like does a fish feel constrained because he's stuck in the pond well, no, the reason why the walls of the pond are there is to keep the water in. That's keeping him alive. Ooh, I like and that's, that. Yeah. There that's go. what God does with us with boundaries. All right. So we got to wrap up. We're way over time. But I love every bit of our conversation. This so. was so cool, Ken. Thanks for coming. Oh, it's, it's, it's cool what you guys are doing. I prayed, I'll keep praying. God bless this. So here's, here's what I would ask is that we get you back in here again for something else because we love oh, yeah. to have you. Okay. So, um, Zach, got anything else? Um, is there anywhere that our listeners can find you? Anything that you're doing online or any um, projects or writings? Or Jake had a blog. <laughs> I'm so old school. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you have a church website, though. I'm on yeah. Facebook for crying out Hey, man, Facebook's great. on Facebook. <laughs> we're you'll on get, Facebook. You'll get a bunch of messages from strangers. That we're you on know Facebook, too. So. Idea who they that's, are. That's fine by me. I don't care. <laughs> but, okay. but again, I'm, I'm right there on 101 Fee, F-E-E Street in Berea. If you're yeah, in the Berea one. area and you're listening to the podcast, check out Berea United Methodist Church. Go see Ken. He's great. This is just a very small taste of his message. I think uh, he has the, uh, the gift of discernment. I've heard him plenty of times, and I would recommend your message to anyone. Thanks, bro. Big Thanks. shout out to you. <laughs> Thanks again, and be sure to uh, look for the Houseplants podcast on Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple, Patreon. Anyway. Patreon is coming. Spotify. Like Spotify. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Peace. Awesome.